Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. If you're using the black Bibles that are provided, that can be found on page 1015. We took a break um, to do a Christmas series, but this morning we, we resume our preaching series through the book of 1 Peter. And I'll just remind you that that series is called Following Christ in a Fallen World. Our passage today, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter 2, they, they actually serve as kind of a transition passage, kind of a bridge from one section of the letter to another. Up till now, Peter's been speaking primarily about the Christian's salvation. I mean, chapter 1 was just full of, of talking about the, the grace God has shown to us and the living hope that we have, the inheritance that's being kept for us and who we are and the grace that's been lavished on us. So up till now, Peter's been speaking primarily about the Christian salvation. But beginning in verse 13, remember our section today is a bridge, but beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2 into chapter 3, he's going to be talking about the Christian's submission. If you would allow your eyes to scan down uh, through the rest of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, you're going to keep seeing that phrase, submit yourselves, submit yourselves, submit yourselves, talking to different groups of people. So that'll be the the next section that we embark on, but today we're looking at verses 11 and 12 that prepare us for that. In, In the preceding passage, again, I know it's been a little while since we've been at 1 Peter, so, you know, to jump right back into verse 11 of chapter 2, it's like, okay, well, what was, what was verse 10 about, right? What was verse 9 about? Well, if you remembered, in the verses right before this text, Peter taught that as the church, we are the new temple of God built on the foundation of Christ, and that as the, the new people of God Or as the church, we are the new people of God who are also redeemed by the blood of Christ. So we're built on the foundation of Christ and we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And that as the church then, we are to declare God's glory with our lips and display his glory with our lives. Now today in verses 11 and 12, Peter once again exhorts us to glorify God by living out our identity in Christ in the midst of this fallen world. We see that all the time in Scripture, right? Our, uh, our actions flow out of our identity. The imperatives of Scripture flow out of the indicatives of Scripture. What God has done for us, and then based on that, what He calls us to certain actions, and that's going to be the case today. So I ask you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Again, our text is merely going to be verses 11 and 12, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 just to give us that, that runway leading up to the, to the passage. So 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. What does it look like to live as a Christian? And again, as I ask that, what does it look like? I'm thinking about that kind of on two fronts. What, what takes place inside of us as we live as a Christian? And then also, what should it look like on the outside as we live as a Christian? How are we to relate to the world around us? Well, our, our text in God's Word today will answer those questions. The title of the message this morning is, Godly Living to the Glory of God. And if that sounds a little too redundant, you could say holy living to the glory of God. Today I want to work through verses 11 and 12 under the headings of who, what, and why. Who we are, what we are called to do, and why. So let's begin with who we are. Look again with me, please, at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You see how Peter addresses them. Beloved. That's the first time Peter uses that term in the letter. But interestingly, he's going to use it seven more times in the remainder of this letter and also Second Peter. Beloved. Loved ones. No doubt Peter loves them. But more importantly, God loves them. And that's what Peter is emphasizing here. They are loved by God. And when I say loved ones, that's, I have a dual meaning too. And when I address you all as loved ones, yes, I love you. But I want you to know and remember God loves you. And so Peter says, beloved, you are loved by God. Remember that. According to his amazing grace, God has set his love on you. And he's demonstrated that love by sending his own son to die for you. God, in, in his grace and love, has sought you. He's saved you through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit who now lives in you. God loves you. And nothing can separate you from that love. Man, we need to hear that, don't we? <laughs> we need to hear that again and again. We are loved by God. What amazement should capture Peter's readers. What amazement should capture our hearts with that simple truth this morning, that the eternal God loves me. Again, he loves his people, he loves his bride, he loves each one of us individually. As I often quote Galatians 2.20, Paul says, The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What assurance, what strength comes from that, that truth that God loves us. We don't deserve it, but we are loved by God. And though we are often foolish and prone to wander, though the, the world buffets us, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Beloved. That's not the only way he addresses them. That's not the only description he gives, right? He also, in verse 11, calls them sojourners and exiles. He began his letter reminding them that they're exiles. 
These, these two words are very similar in their meaning. Sojourner literally means to live beside the house. In other words, to live in a place that's not your own. And that's really what exile means too, to be a resident alien in a foreign land. And so, yes, maybe some of them might have physically been scattered, having been displaced there, but what he's really getting at is he's talking to their spiritual condition. They've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. God, in his great love, has rescued them from the domain of darkness, transferred them to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So they are exiles. We are exiles. We are in this world, but not of this world. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Man, when we were singing, O Glorious Day this this morning, I was like, Come, Lord Jesus, (laughs) right? Come quickly. That's what we're waiting for. That's who we're waiting for. Our Lord Jesus, that's, we're already seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's where we belong. But yet, he has us here for a reason, right? To bring glory to him, to display his glory. And what a privilege that is. So as Christians, we really have dual citizenship, right? We at Abounding Grace Church, we have dual citizenship. We're citizens of America, and, you know, we're thankful for that. But our primary and permanent citizenship is the kingdom of God. So our primary allegiance is to Christ. And as Peter will say later in his letter, we, you know, we're to submit to human authorities, certainly, unless they would tell us to sin, go against our king. But again, what he's reminding them of is how they, who they are, because that will affect how they are to live. They're no longer of this world. They've been rescued out of the sinful, fallen philosophies and captivities of this world. And so the commands that we're going to see here in verses 11 and 12 are grounded in our identity as Christians. We are loved by God. God has saved us, adopted us, redeemed us from bondage to our sin, and redeemed us from this sinful world system. We still live in the world, but we're no longer, we no longer belong to this fallen world system. Again, thinking about who we are, God is our loving heavenly Father. Heaven is our home. Eternity with Christ is our future. Remember, that's what he was emphasizing in chapter 1. It's true, we are in one sense just passing through this fallen world, although Christ is going to uh, restore this fallen world, the new heavens, new earth. But we are following our Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to know Christ and make him known. We have an inheritance waiting for us. So who are we? We are sojourners. We are exiles in this world. And we are loved by God. Think of the implications of that. Because we're sojourners and exiles, we don't need to live for the things of this world. Because we are loved by God, we don't need to live for the approval of this world. Again, we're not going out trying to make enemies, certainly, but... But we shouldn't be surprised if the world reviles us. They did the same thing to our Lord. But even as they do that, we can take heart. We are loved by God. And it's His opinion that matters. 
So that's who we are. The second heading then is, what are we called to do? And notice, if, you're, if you look at the outline in your bulletin, I say, by God's enabling. Right? All of, all of the commands, again, are, are flow out of the gospel. Who we are in Christ, and, and also all the commands are, I, I just want to make this clear, and I'll say it repeatedly, but it's by God's grace, by His strength, by the Spirit's enabling Right? We're not talking about just, just do better, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And No, we're talking about be who you are in Christ, depend on the Holy Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and live this way for the glory of God. So what are we called to do by God's enabling? Well, look again at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Before we get into that, there's two commands there, really, but before we get into those, just notice the, the tone of the appeal here. Again, it's such a loving tone, but it's also such a, a fervent tone, isn't it? Again, Peter loves them. He's, saying, he's not lecturing them, right? He's saying, beloved. And because he loves them, because God loves them, he urges them. Notice that. I, I was struck by that. I urge you to do this. This is important. They need to listen. We need to listen to this. This is for their good and for God's glory. Loved ones, this is for our good and for God's glory. This is important. This is not just kind of take it or leave it stuff. This is what God is calling us to do. This is how we live out who we are in Christ. I urge you, he says, two things. By God's enabling. Number one, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Passions of the flesh. The word passion simply means strong desire. By itself, passion is a neutral term. I mean, it could be a strong, theoretically, it could be a strong desire for something good, or it could be a strong desire for something evil. The context determines that when we interpret it. But here, we, verse 11 says, it's the passions of the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Flesh does not mean our, our skin. <laughs> it doesn't even mean our bodies. Flesh is our remaining sin. Okay? It's important for you to know our bodies are not sinful, but our flesh is. For another way of saying this, for the Christian, flesh is what is left of our old, unredeemed human nature. Before God saved us in Christ, we used to be controlled by our flesh, by our sin nature. But now, praise God, as Christians, we've been set free from that bondage. We've been set free from bondage to our sinful desires. It, it's true, before God saved us, we used to not be able to not sin, really. You know, In God's common grace, he keeps people from being as sinful as they could be. But we couldn't not sin. We were enslaved. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now, praise God, we are new creations in Christ. And so we've been set free. We've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We've been given new hearts that love God. But there's still sin that remains. 
And so as Alistair Begg often says, sin no longer reigns, but it remains. And that's what he's talking about here, our remaining sin, our remaining sinful desires. So passions of the flesh are the desires that are, have been corrupted by the flesh. Again, some of those are just wicked desires from the outset. Some are legitimate desires that are turned sinful because they're exalted too much. They become idols. But when you see the passions of the flesh, just think sinful desires. And again, I know when we, when we see passions, or, and maybe even flesh too, I don't know, we, our minds might tend to think of uh, sensual desires, sexual desires. He's not limiting it to that. Certainly it would include those illicit things. But these are a strong desire for anything that is contrary to the will of God. So passions of the flesh could include things like strong desires for the approval of man. Or, or a strong desire to be in control. <laughs> right? Or a strong desire to have things my way, being selfish. Right? I mean, it can be a host of things. In addition, certainly, to sexual immorality. So, again, as Christians, this, isn't, this is, kind of speaks to who we are, doesn't it, as well? Our identity. As Christians, we have remaining sin. And I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know, right? We know that experientially. We still have strong, sinful desires inside us. And notice, those passions, those sinful desires that still remain... They're not coexisting peacefully in us, are they? What does he say? He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Those sinful desires that remain, they are, they are on, in battle. They are on the attack. The soul is the immaterial part of us, right? We are body and soul. Our souls now belong to God. We've been redeemed by God through Christ. But notice our sinful passions are waging war against our soul. There is literally a civil war going on within us as Christians. Yes, this fallen world can tempt us from the outside, but there are plenty of temptations coming from within us as well. James chapter 1, verse 13 says that, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, verse 14 says, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And Peter's talking about the same thing here. He's talking about that civil war going on within us. Our remaining sinful desires wage war against our soul. Our remaining sinful desires wage war against our soul that loves God and wants to please Him. But yet there's also these sinful desires that are saying, No, don't do that. Don't love God. Don't please Him. Don't obey God. Obey your, your passions. Obey these desires. Wage war is a strong term, isn't it? It points to a strong, relentless battle that takes place inside each believer. Again, I just want us to understand this so we're not disillusioned as we struggle, right? On one hand, we've been given new hearts that love God and want to please Him, but on the other hand, we have remaining sinful desires that still entice us to sin against our God. 
prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Paul described this battle in his own life in Romans 7, verse 15. Paul says, the Apostle Paul, right, says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good, so it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He wasn't trying to, that wasn't a cop-out, right? He's just saying, there's this sin that's in me that is still leading me this way. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There's a civil war. So don't be... I mean, again, don't take sin lightly. This passage is telling us not to take it lightly, but don't be disillusioned. Don't think, wow, there's something wrong with me because I... I still mess up. I still sin as a Christian. Because Satan can slip right in and and accuse, right? Yeah, you're not really a Christian. You don't love God. A Christian wouldn't be doing that. No, Christians still struggle with sin. We all still struggle with sin. But praise God, we're, we're not left in our own strength in that struggle. Right? We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Praise God that as believers, we not only have new hearts that have been set free, but we also have the indwelling Holy Spirit who empowers us and guides us on paths of righteousness. And that's why this war that we're talking about between uh, the sinful desires and and our soul, that war is actually, that battle is described in Galatians 5 as in the flesh versus the spirit. Because we have the spirit, (laughs) So Galatians 5:16 says, "But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." Wow, that's important to know, isn't it? Walk by the Spirit. That's five, Galatians 5:16. I'd write that down. Galatians 5:16. Right? We've just been we've just heard that we have these sinful desires that are waging war against our soul. Peter's going to tell us to abstain from them. I know I haven't even got to that yet, right? But he's going to say abstain from that. How? Galatians 5.16. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's the battle going on within us, right? These sinful desires that are waging war. And so what does Peter say? He says, abstain from these sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Abstain means to hold yourself away from something. And it's interesting. The word implies more than just avoidance. It actually entails a renouncing of it. You know, so I mean, there could be like a whatever you want to say, a, a mud puddle or something gross right there. And, you know, I can avoid it, but I can just kind of go, <laughs> and kind of go right up next to it. Oh, I'm avoiding it. That's not what he's talking about, okay? He's saying, you, you renounce that. You stay far away from that. You say, I don't want any part of that. Abstain from it. We are to stay far away. And I, I know this gets kind of tricky to, 
to even communicate, really. How do we stay far away from our sinful desires? They're inside of us, right? We'll make no provision for the flesh, so stay far away from things that are going to stir up those sinful desires. But when those desires, you know, start to kind of try to get your attention, hey, why don't you do this? Hey, why don't you do that? You, you renounce that. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, flesh. I'm staying far away from that. I'm not going to dabble in that. I'm not even going to go down that path like Proverbs says. We don't even go down the, the road of the adulterous woman. We stay far, far away. And again, I know that's talking about outside. I'm talking about inside, whatever it's, our desires are tempting us to do. We are to stay far away from our sinful desires in that respect. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Here's other uses of this verb. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Right? Every form of evil. I'm not going to dabble in gossip. I'm not going to dabble in, in hurtful speech. I'm going to abstain from it. And as we'll see, right, what, what does Scripture tell us to do? Not only abstain from it, not only put it off, but replace it with something good. Don't have speech that tears down, but have speech that builds up, that gives grace to those who hear. As Christians, but here's the point I want us to see from this verb, loved ones. Abstain. As Christians, we are not to see how close we can get to temptation without sinning. We are not to see how close we can get to temptation without sinning. It's foolishness to say... Well, how far is too far? How close can I get to the edge of the cliff without falling off? That is not biblical at all, and it's not wise. It's playing with fire. Because you might slip and fall off. When temptation comes calling, we are to run away. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We are not to flirt with temptation, seeing how close we can get. We are to flee from them like they were a deadly beast. We're not to toy with our sinful desires. We are to abstain from them, renounce them. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Don't toy with sinful desires. Reject them, renounce them, abstain from them. We want to starve our remaining sinful desires that they might be weaker. We don't want to feed our sinful desires for that will only strengthen them. We are to abstain from them, renouncing them by the power of the Spirit whenever they rear their wicked head. And that verb abstain there in in 1 Peter 2.11 is in the present tense. It means continual action. This is not a one-time decision, not a one-time command We are to keep abstaining from the passions of the flesh moment by moment and day by day. We cannot let our guard down. And we can only do that by the power of the Spirit. We must be vigilant to abstain from sinful desires throughout the day, not just when we're going to go to church, not just when we're thinking about, you know, meeting with God all day long. And notice that 
2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, that put off and put on is so helpful. When, when my sinful desires are tempting me to indulge in them, to be selfish, one of the best things that I can do by the power of the Spirit is to renounce that and to say, who can I go serve now? <laughs> How, who can I go bless or love on or you know, certainly go to the Lord and meet with Him? Because sin at its heart is selfish. And so as we abstain, we're not, we're not getting close, tiptoeing, indulging, toying with it. We're running far away and we're running in the direction of loving God and loving our neighbor. All right, so that's the, the first command. And again, I urge you, he says, to abstain from the passions of of the flesh. That's the put off command. And now in verse 12, the second command is kind of like the put on command in one sense. He says, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So I said it this way, live honorably among unbelievers. That's the second command. First is abstain from that your remaining sinful passions, your remaining sinful desires. The second one is live honorably among unbelievers. That's what Gentiles means. It means unbelievers. Peter's just described Christians. We read it earlier in verse 9, right? He just described Christians using Jewish terms. <laughs> and so now he's saying live holy lives, live godly lives, live honorable lives among unbelievers. That word honorable, by the way, means something that is beautiful in appearance. It's talking about its outward form. It's, it's beautiful. It's honorable. It's attractive. It's pleasing to the Lord. As we live holy lives by God's grace, the Spirit will produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. As we, by God's grace, live lives pleasing to the Lord, the Spirit will be conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And loved ones, that Christ-like behavior is beautiful. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love is beautiful, isn't it? Joy, joy that comes from the heart is beautiful. Peace, patience, kindness, beautiful. Attractive, gentleness, self-controlled, humility, purity, integrity. All these things are beautiful. Why are they beautiful? <laughs> They're beautiful because they reflect the beauty of Christ. <laughs> Keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. Keep your conduct among unbelievers Christ-like. Notice that word among, right? Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable. Man, that word among is instructive, isn't it? Again, how are we to live as Christians? Are we to retreat to some mountaintop, right? Are we to form holy huddles, little monastic communities? 
No, he says. Live your lives. You're exiles. Yeah, you don't belong. You're kind of, you're, you don't really belong in this world anymore, but you are in the world. And so live out your Christian life among this world. Among unbelievers, he says. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, before others among the Gentiles, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The Spirit must have been bringing that verse, that teaching to Peter's mind, because verse 12 sure sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? Even talking about them praising God at the end. Again, put the two pieces together. Sometimes the reason we retreat, the reason we want to isolate is we think, ah, the world is bad, right? Unbelievers, bad. But no, who, who is our fight against? Is it against unbelievers? No. It's against remaining sin. Our fight is against sin and temptation. We could add worldliness of the world system. Our fight is against the devil. And again, Christ has won the victory. We're to stand firm in that. I know we often say, and because the Bible teaches it, that we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that's true. But please understand, when we say the world, we don't mean people. We're not battling people. We mean the sinful philosophies of this world, the temptations of this world. Sadly, sometimes Christians get this all backwards, don't we? We get our perspective, we get our fight all backwards. What do we do? We indulge our sinful desires while looking down on the world and and remaining aloof from the world. And that is completely backwards from what Peter's saying, isn't it? Instead, we're to be loving the people of the world, living among the people of the world, while warring against our remaining sin. May may we, by God's grace, direct our ire, direct our fervor toward our remaining sin. Unbelievers are the mission field, not the enemy. And so we're to live among them. You know... um, and again, I have, a, I have a long way to grow in this, but let's pray for opportunities, right? Every day we're, we're around people. May God open our eyes and pray for open doors. For one, just opportunities to be kind to someone, right? To say thank you, to, to, be, to give them a smile, to, to not be, you know, just our head down stuck on our phone, you know, but to be looking and, and looking for opportunities to engage. May God give us open doors. May, may we live lives of integrity, of the fruit of the Spirit, And as Peter will say in the next chapter, that will open up doors. But something else, you know, just to think about, Melissa and I have been talking about this, you know, how can we engage our neighbors? We had an open house for Christmas and got to know a few of them. We invited a bunch to that, and, you know, a few came. You know, set a goal, right? If we don't set a goal, it probably won't happen. But, man, just say once a month, you know, by God's grace, once a month, we're going to have one of our neighbors over for dinner or for dessert, 
or engage them somehow. Let's pray for opportunities. Who has God put in your path that you are living among? That you can be displaying the gospel and speaking the gospel. And that gets to the why. Again, unbelievers are the mission field, not the enemy. And that our third heading, why, speaks to that. Two reasons, two, two whys, but really they're, they're closely connected here. Number one, for an effective witness. That's the first why. Why are we to be living godly lives among the unbelievers? Why are we to be battling the, the uh, uh, remaining sinful desires in us, abstaining from them? So we can be an effective witness to the world around us. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, here's the why, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, we are called to be witnesses, Jesus said in Acts 1. And we do this through our words and our lives. And again, the, the, I think the default response of the world, I'm not saying everybody, but the default response of the world is going to be um, not necessarily pleasant, right? It might be hatred. Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me. You're not of the world now, and so the world hates you. It might be just, man, you're weird, right? They think you're strange, the Bible says, because you do not partake in this stuff. And so even here, and in, in Peter's saying, they're going to speak against you as evildoers. They're going to think you're, you're doing something wrong, that you're evil. Oh, you think you're better than us, right? Oh, you don't indulge in this. Oh, you don't worship that. They're going to speak against you as evildoers, but yet even that, that opportunity, even that, that platform is a chance to point them to Christ. And by God's grace, they may end up praising him in the end. So this is for an effective witness. Again, you put verse 9 together when it says you, you're, you're now a chosen people, a holy nation, uh, a people for his own possession, that you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So there's the proclamation part, right? We're to be declaring the gospel and we're to be displaying the gospel. We're to be living it out. Both are needed. Right? If we're, if we're only declaring... And then our lives run contrary, and then we're, again, we're not going to be perfect, but we need to be humble when we, when we do sin and mess up. But if we're, if we're being um, hypocrites, well, that just totally blows the message away, doesn't it? Takes away the credibility of the message. But as we live those lives, we should also be speaking for Christ. It's not just meant to be a lifestyle evangelism for our whole life. We've got to speak. The gospel is truths that have to be communicated so that they may be believed by God's grace. But again, one leads to the other. 1 Peter 3.15 is saying people will notice. So always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, he says. Unbelievers, excuse me, unbelievers will notice our godly lives and they will connect it to our identity with Christ. For some unbelievers, that will be offensive to them because the darkness hates the light because it exposes their deeds. Even, even if we're not coming in, you know, preaching, saying, don't, you know, quit that, quit that, right? John teaches, the Gospel of John says, that they, they hate the light. And we are now children of light. We reflect the light of Christ. 
But again, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So 2 Corinthians says, To some will be a fragrance of death to those who are perishing. As we try to live out the gospel, as we try to speak the gospel, they're going to reject it, they're going to hate it, they're going to... They're going to persecute us. But for some, it'll be the fragrance of life. Those whom God is working in their hearts will be drawn to it. And again, at first it might be, you're weird, I don't like that. But then, as God is softening their heart, as God is giving you the words to say, just, just words full of salt, seasoned with grace, Maybe a question, maybe an invitation. God will be softening their hearts and drawing them to himself. What an opportunity we have to be witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I know a lot of us have heard that word for our whole life, right? A witness, an ambassador. But think about the privilege of that. We get to be a witness for our king. We get to, in some small way, display the, the glory and the beauty of who he is. Oh, we fall short. But what an opportunity. God can take the, that little, <laughs> little resemblance and use it in the life of someone. The second reason then, not only for an effective witness, but for the glory of God. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's an interesting phrase, the day of visitation. I, I immediately thought of the Lord's return, right? And that's the ultimate day of visitation. But actually, as I dug into it, day of visitation is, is an expression uh, used throughout the Bible speaking of just occasions when God visited people. <laughs> In a special way. Sometimes it was in judgment. Sometimes it was in blessing. There will be a final day of visitation on the day of Christ's return when Jesus will judge his enemies and gather his own. But before that final day, think about this thought. This really encouraged me. Before Christ's return, the Lord is visiting people now by His Spirit, through the Word of God, through the testimony of His people. The Lord is visiting people, opening their eyes, giving faith to believe in Christ. Isn't that exciting? And I just want to pause now and say, and again, maybe you wouldn't use this term, but have you been visited by God? Has God visited you? Has the Spirit touched your heart? Has the Spirit opened your eyes to show your sin and to show you that Jesus is mighty to save? I pray that God in his mercy would do that even right now. That God would visit people right now. Showing you that you are a sinner who needs a Savior and revealing to you that Christ is that Savior Oh, friend, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
If, you, if there's something in you that is causing you to consider Jesus, then move toward him. Move toward him. Run to him if God gives you the faith to do that. Renounce your sin. Acknowledge your need. And by faith, embrace him as Lord and Savior. Oh, I pray that the Spirit will visit those who need it today. The exciting truth of verse 12 in our passage today is that as we, by God's grace, follow Christ in in obedience in this world, God's going to make our behavior noticeable to unbelievers. And as they see the fruit of the Spirit in us, God may use that as an opportunity to visit them, to touch their hearts, to move in them, to trust in Christ as well. And then we're excited about that because we don't want to see anyone go to hell. So we're excited for them. But we're excited because now they are glorifying God too. Now they're declaring his praises. Now they too will worship the Lord and live for his glory. And again, this is just a good reminder to all of us, I hope, that our lives are to be lived for his glory. The results are up to God, right? He just calls us to, in dependence on him, live faithfully. Live as he's calling us to do. Speak for him. Live for him. And praise God, he, the results are up to him, what he chooses to do in people's hearts. But either way, God is glorified. Do you you need purpose in your life today? You've been saved and God is sanctifying you for his glory. No matter what you do tomorrow, if you go back to school, if you're going to a job, if you're taking care and, and training your kids... You can do that for the glory of God. And you're living among people. You're displaying Christ among people. What a joy that is. What a privilege that is. May God be glorified through our lives. So to summarize then, Abounding Grace Church, you are loved by God. He has called you out of this world. And so... I echo Peter, and I urge you, and I urge myself to abstain from our sinful desires. Abide in Christ, that his life may be lived through you to others. And may God help us then, daily, moment by moment, to live holy lives to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are a God who visits those in need. And again, we've just come off celebrating Christmas when thinking of your visitation, how you left the glory of heaven to come and visit this earth and live among this fallen world. And we praise you that you, after dying and rising again, you sent your spirit and that you have visited many of us in this room already. You visited us. Maybe it was in a church, maybe it was in a car, maybe it was at home. It could have been anywhere, but you visited us through your spirit and through your word, and you saved us, and we praise you for that. May you continue to visit. Oh God, in your mercy, visit our children. Visit our coworkers. 
visit our neighbors. Lord, visit this town, this county for your glory. And help us to, to live for your glory. Lord, we are, we are so weak. We, we feel how, how strong the pull of our sin still is. But yet by faith we know we've been set free. By faith we know that we have your Holy Spirit inside of us. And so please help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to utilize the means of grace that you give us, Lord. Your word, your people, the gatherings of the church, prayer, worship. Help us fix our eyes on you, our minds on you. Help us guard our hearts from the evil of this world. For from it flow the, from our hearts flow the wellspring of life. Lord, too many of us just, just pump, pump up our sinful desires because we feed on sinful things. Oh God, please convict us of that. May we turn from that. May help us to live godly lives for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand please and let's sing together.